Hi, and welcome to another episode of A Shock Glass of Recovery with your host, Julie, half of the dynamic duo that brings you the podcast to Sober Chicks. Hi, and welcome. So I am reading a new book. It is by Tara Brock. She is the author of Radical Acceptance or Radical Self-Acceptance. And I am reading Radical Compassion. And the reason I'm reading that is because actually I'm listening to it on audiobook. I feel like self-forgiveness has been a topic for me with my sponsees lately. I know in my experience with my own self-forgiveness and my own self-compassion, it has been a big deal in how I recover, how I treat myself, how I cope with this world. My therapist taught me that. And the last time I brought an issue to my sponsor about a month ago, um, she told me that it required self-forgiveness. So it's been something that's sort of swirling around in my mind and my heart lately. And I thought instead of recommending a book, I could learn more about it so that I could be of better support and service to my sponsees. Now, in the 12-step program, we don't really talk about self-forgiveness. We have an amends um, process. We make our list of amends in eight. We make our amends unless they would harm others in nine. But it's not really spoken about. And I think it's really important because we carry as addicts a lot of shame and guilt. And at the root of that, I believe, the root of that can be changed when we have radical compassion for ourselves. We can love ourselves into healing because compassion is a healing medicine. Um, Freedom can come into the moment of shame and guilt when we forgive ourselves and um, shame. (laughs) So guilt is when we feel bad about something we've done. That's as well for embarrassment. And shame is when we feel bad about who we are. So we are plagued by a lot of shame and guilt. And so Tara Brock's compassion, she gives this visual that she had learned from someone else. And it's a circle with a line through the middle. And on the top is presence. Above the line is presence. And that's where the healing happens. And below the line is trance. So presence is consciousness. It's wakefulness, openness, tenderness, and love. It's like a sky with clouds going through it. And the clouds can be happiness, sorrow, fear, excitement, or grief. And presence can hold all of those things. Presence is when we're right here, right now. Now, trance, which is living below the line, is anything outside of our conscious awareness. It's like being in a dream. It's where all our stories and scripts are. Um, Stories when we get caught about someone else's wrongness. Stories of grief and um, disconnect from the moment. Like using grief as an example, when I'm present with my grief and I see it for what it is and I let it wash through me and I hold it, there's healing there. But when I get pulled out of it into this trance state, I get caught in it. I'm not aware. I lose time. I'm cut off from myself. I'm cut off from others. I'm living in the past or I'm living in the future. When the feelings drive my reality, or I'm in fantasy and obsession, I'm in trance. So the point is to bring present awareness to what's going on instead of what we do in our addiction, which is drinking it away, using it away, behaving it away. 
It's knowing in presence that my fearful beliefs aren't truth and I have more choices as to how I spend my time. So she gives an example. Trance, caught or possessed by emotions. Presence, emotions witnessed mindfully. Trance, dissociated. Presence, in contact with feelings. Trance, heart defended or numb. Presence, heart caring and tender. Trance, reactive to experiences. Presence, responsive to experiences. Trance, grasping or resisting. Presence, balanced, open, and discerning. So it's all based on what we practice gets stronger. And we can decondition our brains to overcome even the most deeply ingrained habits. This is what we've learned in the last decade or so about the gift of neuroplasticity, which is neurons that fire together, wire together. So we can change our neural networks by changing how we think, feel, and behave. We get caught in these fear-based ruts in our brains, which are very well ingrained because every time we have a thought or a feeling or situation, we use or behave or drink to shut all of that down. So when we become aware, we start to create a new neural pathway. We go from trance into presence and we create this new network, which gives us more options on how to respond to an emotion. So she says, the more we say yes to experience, the more the openness and presence of that yes will be embodied in our living cells and shape our entire life experience. And we learn this through doing the 12 steps. Our disease is a lot about perception. So we perceive our life experience through a certain lens and that perception drives our addiction. And then when we get recovered, we have a completely new perception on life and our life experience. We hear it in the promises. We will see how our experience can benefit others. We start to look at something from an outward gazing lens instead of an inward focused lens. And it changes how we cope with life. We don't have to go to booze and drugs and behaviors anymore. We are more aware of what's going on with us once we do all 12 steps so that we can tackle it that way and not our old addictive way. She talks about how emotion has an arc. Every emotion has an arc. It arises, it peaks, and it passes unless we are continuously fueling it with thoughts. This is another perspective-driven thing. If I have an emotion of anger, it may rise. I'm, For example, I might be dealing with my parents and get really angry. So I allows it. I allow it to come up. It will peak and then it will pass unless I go into blame and victimhood and poor me and their shitty this and then I'm feeding it. It's the same thing with a fear response. I think after the original um, spark of adrenaline and cortisol that runs through our system when we get startled, it dissipates and goes away on its own about 30 seconds later unless we continue continue to fuel it. So I know when I get into that stage of fear and dread and that very cool, hot feeling floods my body, I see it for what it is when I'm doing well and I take a deep breath and I just sit with it and I'm like, this can pass. Okay, I, I acknowledge what this is. Something's come up with my health, for example, because that is a was a big trigger for me up until recently. 
Okay, so I'm freaked out about my health. Okay, let's notice it. We see it. We let it pass. We'll deal with it if something comes up. Um, She talks about, Tara Brock also talks about in Radical Compassion, what we learn about in recovery if we dig deeper, which is that our ego has good intentions, but it erroneously enshrouds us in strategies and defenses we develop to meet our needs for safety, approval, and love. And it's it's got good intentions. It's trying to protect us. But as we get older and we step into our adult lives, these things no longer serve us and we can't move forward unless we see that our bottom and our crash and our addiction is actually calling us to a higher self and a higher better experience of life some people find it in recovery a lot easier in terms of dealing with higher power stuff in looking at their future or awakened or higher self like how would my higher self respond to this my the higher self being the best possible version of ourselves well my higher self probably wouldn't kick that guy in the balls and then go home and drink about it my higher self would have love and compassion and connectedness to myself and to others My higher self would be humble and not ego-driven. My higher self wouldn't use or drink or behave. So turning towards this higher self or this awakened self or this future self can often be a key that unlocks us into a different level of awareness. The point is this all takes work. Self-compassion takes work, especially when we are plagued by guilt and remorse and shame and embarrassment about how we've behaved. But I bet if you heard someone talk to another person, the way you talk to yourself and the way you shame yourself, you'd blow your lid. You would not tolerate that. You would tell someone not to tolerate that. So we are constantly talking to ourselves I believe at the core of all of us, we just want to be good. We want to be good boys and good girls. And we gravitate to people that we want that message from. And we are. We are created good. God created us and he saw that it was good. We are good people. But the pattern of trauma and life puts all kinds of stuff on us that we were not meant to carry. So talk to yourself. Tell yourself you're good. If you're listening to this, you're most likely in recovery, which means you're working at it. You're doing good. If all you do is wake up in the morning and put a little bit of work towards your recovery, you're doing good. If you just want recovery, that is a seed of promise. So please be kind to yourself, forgive yourself, put yourself on your amends list, but also understand that you're doing the best you can with the tools that you have right now. And sometimes even though it's hard and even though you think you're failing, you're not. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other and things will fall into place. Don't do it alone, please. Do it in our fellowship. Do it with a sponsor. Do it with a therapist. Just don't do it alone. Remember, you are no longer alone. That's my favorite slogan in the 12 Step Rooms. I hope that was helpful to you. I thank you for spending this time with me. If you need to reach me, please do email me to soberchicks at gmail.com. You can also reach Lisa there, and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at 2soberchicks. Stay, stay, stay. Mm-hmm.